0: Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Masked Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about gender roles, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. This week, we talk about self-identity. In the story, we tell ourselves about who we are and where those ideas come from. Masked man number 45 is the new kid. He's in his early 20s, living humbly, doesn't use social media, And yet shares his story of social anxiety as a teenager and how that deliberate self-isolation resulted in depression and ultimately forced him to drop out of school. And it makes me wonder how much more amplified those feelings of unworthiness, of not being good enough, can be if he was actively on social media. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show.
1: So I was born in New Hampshire but I moved down to North Carolina and have been living in the Charlotte area ever since I was four. So around 18 years now, if my math is correct. And, you know, growing up as a child, I read a lot and, you know, I'd never played video games or anything. You know, it was just reading, doing schoolwork. I was outside when I could be doing sports. My family, you know, emphasized being able to cook and like, do things for yourself like chores, kind of stuff like that.
0: Did you have any siblings or just you and your parents?
1: I do. I have one sibling and they are a gender. Their name is Brynn. Older, younger? Younger by four years.
0: Are you two close at all?
1: We are very close. Growing up, we would kind of bicker a lot, but definitely as we got older, kind of all the, the petty kind of stuff you know, as as children do, kind of, it, it went away. So now we have a very solid relationship. We talk about different things like music and um, we'll play games together and just, you know, like we have a good bond.
0: Okay. How was your relationship like with your parents? Do you, were you closer to one over another?
1: I think it was probably pretty even. My dad definitely worked a lot more. So it was with my mom a lot more. But, you know, we would go out and do things. You know, we'd go out and garden. We'd we'd learn how to cook. We do. We go on family vacations. It's very nice overall, I think. And I think a lot of the things they emphasized early on kind of made me into the person I am and like the values I have today, which I appreciate.
0: So, what would you say those are? Are the core values that you got from your parents? I
1: think kind of being true to yourself, not trying to pretend to be something you're not not worrying about little things that you know aren't really super impactful like don't don't stress about the small stuff you know kind of look at the big picture overall and even if something isn't going the way you necessarily want it to right now like just focus on the things that are going well and eventually you'll get to where you need to be yeah just you know little things in life nitpicky things that can kind of add up and like get to you over time just don't worry about them focus on what you need to be doing to you know get to where you're trying to go at any given point so if you know if you're having a bad day and you know someone said something to you at school or you know maybe you didn't do too well on a test it's like well like learn what you can from that like apply it to kind of yourself moving forward and you know don't worry about it too much as long as you're taking something from it like no matter what happened you can kind of use your experiences to to guide yourself moving forward i think
0: that's a that's a really positive thought process you know to to not let those little things get to you and i think it's you know easier said than done so coming up with that core value was there any tipping point or or a scenario in your life that happened that made you really value that core understanding?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think growing up also we did, we moved around a lot. And even though those values were emphasized, I, I did not really take them to heart for a long time because I would worry about kind of what people thought of me and how I was perceived by other people. Really, specifically in high school of all places. Um, Didn't really have any troubles in middle school, even though I feel like that's kind of the stereotypical time. Um, But in high school, I ended up going to three different high schools and I struggled to make friends because I kind of viewed like everything I did in a microscope. And I was like, oh my gosh, like if I do this or I say this, like they're going to think this of me. And like, who is they? Well, everyone around And I would get so psyched up into my own head that I kind of would avoid interacting with people out of like a fear that I would do the wrong thing. And that kind of stuck with me all through high school. You know, I actually had like a, I don't know how severe it was, but for example, like sophomore and junior year of high school, I wouldn't eat lunches sometimes because I would think that I would have to be skinnier to be more popular and just like really dumb stuff like that like looking back on it now it's funny to me that I would think that way especially you know knowing what I you know underlying emotions and stuff kind of like took place over what I knew like the proper way to approach the situation was which is to not do that like why do I care like if I need to be skinnier like I was already very very skinny person and then I would kind of I would just do things that in my own head, I would justify But like, well, if I do it this way, other people will appreciate me more or like me more. And then when I went to college, um, it stuck with me. So I had all these like issues, struggled with depression. And again, like just, I I was so in my own head of like, I have to be a certain way or else people won't like me that, um, All these issues kind of snowballed and led to me dropping out of school where, you know, I lost a lot of, you know, really a ton of financial aid that i had gotten because I did very well in high school despite these issues. I had lost that funding and then, you know, I was back at home and I was kind of had to reevaluate like, what am I doing? Like, why am I letting this impact me in this way? And just by chance, I, you know, decided to apply for a summer position at this summer camp that I'd been working at, um, working with kids, and it kind of gave me a way to like do things for other people and get so distracted into you know taking care of these twenty kids and worrying about what they're doing and like making sure I'm there the next day so that they have you know someone to lead them, someone to guide them. That you know I realized that all of these things that I like built up for myself that were super scary for me. Like I can't do these things because of this, you know, I can't act this way. I can't say these things. It's kind of freeing in a way because I think it's pretty funny when you're working with kids, you can kind of say whatever you want within (laughs) reason, of course, like you can't, I mean, there's obviously some certain things you can't say, but like you can make stuff up if they ask you how old you are. You're like, well, I'm 85 years old and you know, it gives you a way to realize that you can be kind of goofy and, Say things and you know do things like, in high school I wouldn't be caught dead like taking care of a kid, you know, and maybe like running around playing tag and getting super sweaty. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like people aren't gonna like me if I have sweat stains. But you know, in summer camp it doesn't matter. You just do it because you need to do it and you need to be there in that moment for the kids. And it was kind of a slow process, but over time um, I realized that just doing things the way you want to do and doing things for yourself and not for anyone else is the way to go.
0: How old were the kids that you were working with in the camps?
1: The camps themselves go from around rising kindergartners, so five-year-olds, all the way up to teenagers, 15-year-olds. When I first started working, I worked primarily with seven and eight-year-olds, so rising second and third graders, and they are such a handful. That (laughs) age is when kids start to be a little like sarcastic and they test the boundaries. And so they'll kind of push you all the time and see what they can and can't get away with. You get some really sweet ones and you get some, they're all, they're all sweet, but some of them definitely try to push your buttons a little more at that age and they have a lot of energy.
0: Yeah. I think you have to be really present among kids because they live in the moment, right? And it reminds you of how much you were not living in the moment because you were so stuck in your head.
1: No, I totally agree. And you know, there's there's really no way for me to back then. Like I couldn't justify, you know, not doing a certain thing a certain way because these other counselors might think bad of me. The other, you know, my peers, my coworkers, you know, that's that wasn't what was important. What was important is I do the thing that I think is correct for the kids that I'm working with, and you have to give it your all. And, you know, they will take everything from you. Like it'll, you know, you give them all your energy. They will take that and send it right back at you, you know, keep you going, keep you on your feet, you know, in, and with working with kids and in life in general, there's really just no room to really, you know, worry about how people that, you know, you don't even really know that well are perceiving you. it's just not that important to me anymore, even though it was for such a long time.
0: So, when you were in high school and you wanted to be thin and you didn't want to go have lunch, like, what were you who were your role models at that time? Because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess in my generation, I'm not sure if boys wanted to be thinner, if that was really a clause, or maybe it, it wasn't. I just wasn't aware of.
1: See, and with that, you know, I don't really know where that came from because, you know, in that time, of course, like, I think the stereotypical male fantasy I don't know if I'm wording it the right way is of course Mm -hmm. to be stronger um, Mm -hmm. not to be super skinny Um, but where I was in, in that time I was running track and cross country where I guess it's more advantageous to be skinnier and so you know maybe I thought by being skinnier I would be faster and if I'm faster I would be more popular because you know I would be one of the better people on the team and by doing that more people would talk to me and just stuff like that and I think it's kind of evil thing like once it starts it doesn't it's really hard to break the cycle and I'm not sure if I was looking to any one person to really you know I didn't make this decision by looking at someone and be like I want to be super skinny I just in my head I was like oh my gosh like my arms look a little flabby you know my stomach looks a little flabby like I need to get rid of that you know if I don't eat lunch maybe I'll have six-pack abs or something and then maybe then people will like me it's it's really hard to put an actual explanation for the thought process because there was a lot of things that go into it Mm -hmm. but that's just the way I chose to kind of approach it and of course it's a terrible thing you know starving yourself when you're already doing like a very athletic sport and I was already in one of the lowest percentiles for weight like of in my age to start with it was it was it was not good so i luckily i broke out of that within a year year and a half i realized that it wasn't that important
0: well so you were you were moving around a lot so i'm I'm assuming you didn't really have like long-term peers so did you rely on your family you know how did you kind of get around to helping yourself or did you just figure it all on your own
1: so I had I have one long term friend who I have had since early middle school, and he was with me for most of it. But he did not know exactly you know what was going on because you know I didn't share that with anyone. You know my own family didn't really know what was going on because so I kept it kind of to myself because I thought you know as as it goes you know if I share this with people then I will be weird or a freak and then it's like. You know, like you, you're like gets into your own head. Like I have to do these. I can't tell people. And like, obviously, if you take a step back and look at it, you know, from another person's perspective, there's a kid who needs a lot of help and needs a a perspective shift. But I was not able to do that for myself um, until really just the most jarring. Like, oh snap, I have to drop out of school now because of these things. Like, what led to this point? And I think in that immediate moment, my family didn't really understand what was going on because, again, I hadn't shared really anything of what was going on with them. They didn't understand like what had led up to it, and I still wasn't comfortable sharing it. And so I really worked through a lot of these issues on my own. I, I actively avoided going to therapy or counseling, even though I recognized that it could help because I was uh, kind of stuck up in that, like, well... I got here myself, like I can fix it myself kind of mentality. And I was always like that before I even, you know, struggled with any of these things, you know, Mm -hmm. I just thought I can do it myself. Um, And I I just don't always rely on people around me if I think it's something I should be able to do myself. Um, And so it was like a mental battle with myself for a super long time and kind of a a lot of self-reflection. And it was just a very slow process where over time I would just – grow more comfortable you know socializing with people and you know maybe I would say something and I'd be like oh oh my gosh like I shouldn't have said that people are gonna like hate me and then wait a minute like no one cares like Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a funny thing like looking back at it now and so you know I did rely a lot on myself for it you know my my family kind of knows what was going on now because I think the most important sign to me that you know, I'm kind of over that is that I am able to talk about it with not only, you know, you in an anonymous interview, like I have shared this part of my life with people around me before. I'm not afraid of it. I know, you know, it led to where I am today and I'm pretty proud of where I am today. So, you know, even though it was kind of a sketchy path to get here, you know, it did happen. So I can't hide from it.
0: I think it's interesting, like when when I went, I went through a similar situation where you know, I I self-isolated. I, you know, went through a lot of depression and I just didn't want to speak to anybody about it. I thought that no one would understand me. And I think that's the biggest part about depression is the, the loneliness of just like accepting the fate that no one is going to understand you. So there's really no point in explaining it. And then you just keep digging further down this hole. But I think there is something to say about, Gender a little bit about that because even though I had the I was under the impression that there was no way that anyone would understand me I would just vocally say that and tell everyone I know that there's no way that you can understand me and I don't know if that's um a generally female perspective to be able to vocalize in in that transparency because I've been having these interviews and I'm realizing with a lot of men they would say yeah you know there was there was no point in Talking to anyone about this is, you know, a lonely journey. And then when you said in high school that, like, you were so afraid to speak to people that you just didn't, you know, and then you kind of created your own fate in that sense. So reflecting on that and and realizing, like, there you not reaching out is just exactly putting you in the same spot of that loneliness, and you know, reaffirming the fact that you're never going to have friends because you don't go out and get them. So how did you kind of get out of that cycle?
1: Yeah, I, again, I think that I think that's super valid. And I think when you speak to it from a gender point of view, I think there definitely is some underlying things that factor into that in today's day and age. Um, I think it is common knowledge that, you know, people think men share their feelings or not that they shouldn't. But like, you know, I think it's something from older generations where, you know, a guy crying is like, what are you doing, man? Just tough it up, walk it off. I don't know how much of that played into my, my own journey, but I, you know, I imagine it definitely did. Um, just Mm -hmm. being uncomfortable with showing, I guess, a weakness and showing that I needed help. Um, again, like I don't like asking for help, you know, I will, I ask for help a lot, but, and I'm not, not shy about it, but you know, if it's something that I think I should be able to do myself, you know, even, even today, I'll just, I'll try to get it done I'm on my own. And asking for help is usually a last resort. It's kind of a natural thing. It's not even a, a conscious, like, I'm not going to do it. Speaking back to my inability to share, I think it probably did play a big role. in you know, me not talking to the people around me because I didn't know them and I didn't want them to get to know me as this weird person who says weird things. I didn't really know how to interact with people because I just not really done it and you know Mm -hmm. I avoided it for so long that it just became second nature to like me think about saying something and then I would like second triple double quadruple check it in my head Mm -hmm. and then decide not to say it after all because I would like create so many scenarios in which it would go wrong and then I would be, you know, laughed at, or people would be like, "Oh gosh, you're super weird," and we're gonna avoid you even more.
0: Was there any like proof of that that made you say like, "Oh, here's an example of like someone doing something really weird and everyone hating them"? Like, where where would you get those ideas from, or were there any examples at all for you?
1: No, and that's the funny thing is, you know, Mm -hmm. I growing up there just weren't examples of that. From third grade through eighth grade, I was in a middle school for gifted children so it was all super smart people Um, I was with the same core set of 20 kids from third grade through eighth grade because there was only one class per age or per grade at that time and we were all a super like close unit all of us got along with each other like the boys and the girls we would all like do sports together we would all like you know hang out during recess and you know all the teachers you know we would all talk to the teachers teachers had relationships like speaking relationships with us we would all talk to each other and then as soon as I hit high school it was just like boom like I don't know what happened I went from a school of around you know 20 peers to a very large high school um, with around you know 2,500 kids so maybe that affected it maybe I was just overwhelmed with everything And like I had no examples of people being shunned like elementary through middle school um, you know the The friends that I had made in my life at that point were all from that kind of circle of kids. And so the funny thing to me is it really does seem to be out of nowhere because I would observe people around me all the time. And I would look at, you know, like groups of kids just all talking to each other like no one would fight or, you know, get into a brawl or, you know, people probably said catty things. But I wasn't in those conversations and I couldn't hear what was being said. I would just see the people around me. Being friendly and talking to each other, and then in my own head, I just convinced myself that like I can't be part of that. You know, through my time at high school, really, I didn't experience anyone even saying anything directly to me. You know, because I was very quiet. All I would do is my work, and you know, I'd get compliments from the teachers for getting a really high grade on a test, and then people would be like, "Wow, like, you know the material," and I'm like, "Yep," and I kind of just. <laughs> leave it Mm -hmm. at that and like I'd be like oh gosh they think I'm a nerd like Mm -hmm. uh like I wish the teacher wouldn't say that I'm like doing well but there's like no basis for it like I didn't watch a lot of tv I didn't you know like like I didn't get any media exposure to to things that maybe could have done that like all I would do is read books and uh do schoolwork so I don't really know where it came
0: from isn't that weird though like something that you you know you didn't actually pick up from somewhere apparently is intrinsic in you. And then did that make you feel more crazy? Because like, if, if at least it came from somewhere when you go through this self-reflection, you can be like, Oh, here are all of the points that suggested to you, you know, where, where I thought, where my thought process went and kind of validates it for you. Whereas this, it doesn't, you're just like, Oh man, like, uh, where did this come from? Like, what's wrong with me? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that was, part of it too and i'm like well it it was just kind of a constant feedback loop you know once it started and once i kept reaffirming it by like aligning my thoughts in that way like it just kept going and going and going and going and then you know and then at the end of the school year i'd move schools and the whole like thing would start again you know maybe i'd approached a couple people by the end of the school year and then go to a brand new school and i'm like oh Like now I have to start from, you know, square one. Like no one here likes me. Like they have no idea where I came from. Like now I'm the new kid in school. It's just I like created things in my head. That's crazy. So I guess, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. You know, I was crazy, (laughs) I was the crazy kid. But it's it's just looking back on it now, it's just kind of wild how it kind of snowballed into something out of nothing.
0: And I think that's that's very common in high school, you know, where Everything you're you're just full of uncertainty, and there's no way to practice that. You know, you kind of awkwardly fumble your way into that self-awareness, and and there really isn't any education around uh, unpacking those feelings as as you know you're kind of going through puberty in that sense. So now that you are working with youth, and I know we mentioned this earlier about social media usage, and you know, how would you advise kids today to keep themselves away from getting stuck in their heads, you know, and, and trying to understand more about what is going on since, uh, since you kind of went through that process on your own.
1: Yeah. um, You know, working with kids today and just the amount of smartphones and, you know, people are on Instagram and Snapchat, TikTok's a big one now. It's, kind of a way to like they just sink themselves into it um and i think investing yourself into social media is a dangerous thing to do especially at an early age because i was able to you know kind of get into my own head without social media i didn't have a facebook i didn't have any of these you know instagram snapchat i don't even know what else there is but i didn't have any of that and i still was able to like create problems for myself based on how i thought people were perceiving me and social media gives you a way to see in real time how people perceive you so if you if you post something and then you're waiting for people to like it or upvote it and then you know maybe you don't get the person that you're angling to like to like your post they don't like it or you know you don't get the amount of people to like it you're like oh that person got Two hundred likes on their post, and I only got one hundred like. Oh my gosh, I'm so unpopular. I think it's it's not a good thing for youth to have, especially because their minds are developing. I think it's a conversation that should be had not only with the youth, because speaking from my own experience, young people are really bad at making decisions that are good for them. Mm-hmm. The parents should also be aware that you know maybe. Giving their kids access to these things super early on is not beneficial because I think it is something that is way too easy to be sucked into and start investing your time into. And really it just gives you a lot of things to worry about when in reality, you know, as a young person, you should be worrying about how the people immediately around you perceive you. Like you should be working on building your relationships with your friends and your family and your teachers your peers you know you should be focusing on maybe doing athletics if that's if that's your thing or focusing on a hobby you know focusing on studies if you like school and you plan on getting a degree like worrying about all this extraneous like oh i need to post this so people know what i ate just now and then they can ask me about it and then i can recommend this restaurant to them and and you know, it's just it's excessive you know i see there is inherent value in social media to you know promote things or you know it is a way to connect to people but i think at a young age it's just not very necessary because myself i you know try to stay away from social media when i can like i don't find personal value in it i did go through a phase early on when i was kind of reevaluating my own values and kind of learning you know myself that people don't really care what you're doing half the time or it's not that they don't care just everyone is so caught up in their own heads i learned that it wasn't just me you know in my own head kind of thinking about things everyone does it to some extent and everyone's really worried about what they say or do the fact that you go to a restaurant or you go on on vacation and you're you're not worried about living the moment you're not worried about enjoying the beach and you know enjoying this super cool like cocktail or this super cool like fish burger that you got in this super cool secluded place in Florida, you're worried about, Oh, I need to take a picture, 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 like not, you know, not for your own benefit. Not so you can look back in like 20 years and be like, Oh, that was such a cool thing we did. It's so you can immediately share it to everyone around you and just keep everyone in the loop on what you're doing all the time. And I think it's somewhat unhealthy because my own perception of that is people don't need to know what I'm doing all the time. Not out of a nefarious thing like, oh, I don't, I'm trying to be sneaky. I don't want people to know. It's just like, you know, if you are close to, if you're a close friend, if you are a family member, maybe you're in my work sphere, like you'll find out about what I was doing because I think talking about it and sharing these experiences in person is much more valuable than people just scrolling through an Instagram feed and then liking, you know, barely looking at, but just like mindlessly pressing the little heart button on like all these different people that the last time they talked to them was four months ago, but you you liked six of their pictures since then. But like, how meaningful is that relationship if you only connect through a little heart on a screen, mm-hmm. right? And the amount of energy people spend collectively maintaining these hundreds of pseudo relationships, you know, they're more acquaintances than everything. You're like, Oh, I met that person once and they added me to Instagram and now I'm obligated to like all their pictures. Like why? It just, Mm -hmm. I see no value in it. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm right about everything, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's a dangerous thing for teenagers to be caught up in because there's so many more beneficial things that I could have been doing as a teenager if I didn't spend so much time worrying about how people perceive me. And I think social media gives very easy access to teenagers. It's a tool for them to really just get way too caught up in perception, how they perceive others and how people perceive them. And the most important thing is to just do what you want to do. Be true to yourself, do something because you want to, not because you think you need to do it Mm
0: -hmm. to, you know,
1: get other people's approval.
0: Access is a, is a really big word there, because I think one one thing is the obligation to give access to your life as a way to validate that what you're doing is a productive day or whatever kind of self-promotion to say that you are a good human or whatever it is that you're trying to prove. But the other side is giving access to people to feel like they know you. I mean, I'm on social media quite a lot. So I'll have people just come up to me and be like, hey, I know you. And I'm like, no, you don't. But they think they know you because they've seen you've given them access to your life that they they kind of feel like they know you. So if, if people like follow, you know, celebrities really hard, then they kind of feel like a connection to them. And I think that is really scary because sometimes when I when I engage in new relationships, I realize I want to know like what you did, what you had for breakfast, what you did throughout the day, and I use that as a way to validate that we have a good relationship, but actually, that those are not the right indicators. So I guess for you, like someone that's off of social media, what would those indicators be to having a healthy relationship with somebody?
1: I think you worded that perfectly, honestly. I think it is, you know, that's such a big part of it. Just knowing what people are doing at all times is not indicative of a person you know because Mm -hmm. like you said you know if people are posting what they had for breakfast or what they're doing at any given point in time they're not posting that because they think that's truly like you know them they're doing it because they think that's the best thing in many cases not all cases to get people's approval and i think for myself an indicator of a healthy relationship for me is just someone that i know like i can catch up with them you know I don't, like, I don't consider people really friends unless, you know, I can reach out and be like, hey, do you want to grab a drink? Hey, do you want to go to the gym? Hey, do you want to go do this or this or this? And, like, you meet in person and do things in person. And that's when you talk about things. You're like, hey, I had this really cool thing for breakfast at this cool place the other day. You should go check it out or we should go check it out. Sharing experiences with people is so much more valuable than watching people experience things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and living vicariously through other people is a dangerous thing because you know you can almost validate yourself just by people you know and what they're doing you think i am friends with these people and they're doing these cool things does that make me a cool person and you, know, you could be the coolest person in the world but you know just you know liking things on instagram does not I mean, if, if that's really where you find enjoyment in life, then sure, by all means, go do it. But I, like, I get no enjoyment out of seeing other people do things. And you know I want to do those things myself. And if I can't have that relationship with that person where we can go out and experience things and talk about it and talk about things we did in other places, then it's really nothing more than just an acquaintance at that point. And I don't bother Looking through what people are doing, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, even if they're not posting things daily, if they post once a month, like if I haven't talked to them in two years, I don't really care what they're doing. I don't care that they're getting married. I don't care that they went to their cousin's wedding. I don't know. Um, like again, like I don't, I don't care, and I don't think if they haven't talked to me in two years, you know, my own perception is if I posted this for them, that's silly. So if I was gonna post things. To social media, right? It would be for the people that I'm closest with, because those are the relationships that truly value. But for the people that I'm closest with, they'll already know. I already Mm -hmm. talked to them in person. They know the important things. Maybe my gym buddy, who you go to the gym a couple times a week, they don't need to know what I ate for breakfast every day. It's not really important. But you know, as that relationship builds, like they will know about different aspects of my life. Like they'll learn about where I work, what I'm doing in work and like, oh, wow, this crazy thing happened at work the other day. You totally need to hear about it. Like interpersonal relationships, I don't think can be created through social media. I think they have to be created in person. And I think they have to be maintained in person. And I don't think, you know, just watching and scrolling through things and clicking buttons is really a good thing. I don't think it's a healthy way to maintain relationships. I don't think it's a really super valid way to maintain relationships. You know, in the long term, I don't think it's important to worry about what people are doing. I don't think it's important to worry about what people think you're doing. And I think it's much more important to focus on living in the moment mm-hmm. and, you know, sharing those in the moment things with the people closest to you.
0: I think what's what you said was really interesting on like With social media, we practice a lot about showing what we do. Like, what are we doing? Are we doing this in this morning? Are we doing this at night? Like, we're getting really good at showcasing what we're doing minute by minute, like the play by play. But then we're getting really bad at showing who we are. We're just not practicing that, like not really expressing ourselves and, you know, those kind of more quality led conversations. So as we're still living here in a in a very virtual world and probably getting more virtual, you know, with restrictions on, on whether or not we can even have human contact, how do you anticipate we maintain those quality-led conversations of learning more about who we are versus what we're doing?
1: I think that's a very good point. And I think it does bring up that there is quality in being able to Maintain relationships through technology. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't necessarily think that means maintaining relationships through social media. So, you know, my approach to that would be I think if we had restrictions, if on like what we can do and who we can see, I mean, we've all experienced it there's curfews, and you know, you can't visit people because it's dangerous with um, the pandemic going on. But Just because you can't see people in person does not mean you cannot maintain a deep relationship with them. And it's something as simple as using your phone not to open up Instagram. Use your phone to make a phone call to someone. I really enjoy phone calls over like other means of communication. I think it's more personal. I think even like I'll text people, of course, you know, and I I think that's fine. But I think you know if you really want to catch up with someone like there's no better way to do it than an in-person conversation but i think the next best thing is a phone call because you can you can really dive deep into different topics and just being able to hear the inflection in people's voices and like being able to like really see or like hear that they're excited to hear something or like surprised or emotional rather than relying on maybe an emoji or you know, three exclamation points in a row. Those are just, they're substitutes for real communication. I feel like that sounds more harsh than like, (laughs) I mean, because obviously written communication is a completely valid form of communication for many things, but I don't think, you know, I think there's a difference between, you know, texting grandma and be like, hey, like I did all these cool things. and like calling grandma. You can just, you can really kind of build on, you know, talk about what you're doing, talk about different things and you get a more emotional like it i think it really helps with the emotional side of a relationship when you speak to someone as opposed to just type things out and i think it it goes you know straight back to what we've been talking about with social media um, i think there's an emotional disconnect when your only interactions with people are through a picture or maybe even a video but it's not a it's not a video call. It's just a video of you seeing them do something. Like like the emotions disappear over time. And you know, a little like laughing, crying emoji is not a substitute for like telling a funny story and like actually, you know, making someone laugh. Because I'm guilty of it myself. Like, <laughs> you know, you type lol, but well, I didn't like laugh. I'm just mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, that was kind of funny. Lol. It's it's a <sighs> kind of like things get lost in translation when you type things or when you only use like pictures and virtual means of communication so i guess in essence i really think that speaking evokes emotions and i think if you're not doing that then there could be more Mm -hmm. to your relationship you know and i think the relationships will deepen if you try to establish like verbal communication or, you know, if you can't meet in person because of the pandemic, like, again, just pick up the phone and give them a call. Like if you're, if you're really wondering how they're doing, you know, wondering how they are, you don't know because they posted a picture of them going on a hike. How are they truly feeling about the pandemic? They went out, went out on a hike, but unless you talk to them, you don't know that the full story behind it, like maybe they went on a hike because they've been feeling lost and like, maybe they lost their job and, They were feeling dejected and they decided to go on a hike to get outdoors. And, you know, you don't see that on Instagram. You Mm -hmm. don't know the motivation. You just see what was done. You approve of it or you disapprove of it or you scroll past it if you don't care. But you just can't get to the essence of things. You can't get to the root of things. And you can't understand people's emotions um, without some sort of, you know, verbal or physical communication. And that's really where things are getting lost we're very ooh, trying to word this depersonal i don't think that's a word
0: <laughs> yeah so like there's there's less of that personal side because i think we're we're all hiding through posts and photos and texts or anything that like is just a signal that like hi we exist we're here just putting ourselves out there kind of thing but in a very transient way but when you say to go into you know phone calls or you know Talk to people, for someone that experienced anxiety, even speaking, you know how, how do you ask the questions that go deeper, because I think it's just such it's unfortunately turned into a natural habit to just be like, "Oh, how's your day?" and then just answer generic like, "What did I do with my day?" answers versus, "Why did you do that with your day?"
1: Yeah, I think um, with any relationship, it takes time. get to that point you know if you if you met someone the other day and you go meet up with them for a coffee like you're not immediately gonna dive into their deepest darkest fears but like the way you put it you know asking why it's a super important thing and i learned that through my interactions with children working at camp and you know if one kid pushes another kid punches them down your instinct is like Like, ah, you shouldn't have done that. If you you sit down and ask why, you're like, well, they were doing this. And then, you know, I felt this way. And I, you know, I knew I shouldn't have pushed them down, but I was really upset. And, you know, that's how I chose to take out my frustration. You're like, oh, well, I totally get that. Like, I was in that situation, like, blah, 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 like a long time ago. And then asking why. And I'm glad you said that when you prompted the question. Mm -hmm. It's really like discerning the true motivation behind things. And you can't get that unless you unless you ask why or how did you get here? Like what led you to this? You're not able to ask those questions really through any sort of social media interaction. And until you build a personal relationship with someone, if you, know, you can ask those questions over text, you can ask them over a phone call, you can ask them in person. But unless you ask those questions, you're not truly going to know that person on a deep level and if if your relationship with a person is you meet up once a week and you go on a jog and you never ask why you know that's totally valid relationship if you don't want to know why they do these things but I think over time like it just like as you become more comfortable with yourself and as people I had to learn it like I was never comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. anything and honestly kids were like why did you do that like why why and then I was like oh like, I don't mind answering that. Like, I'm, you know, honestly, they're only seven years old, but, you know, sure, I'll tell them why I did this. And over time, like, if, you know, if you're comfortable with the choice you made in anything, or even if you're not comfortable, like someone asking you why can make a difference, asking you what, asking you how, like, I think it's an an important thing that is often lost. And it, for me, that essence of relationship was lost without social media. Back in the day, like, you know, I had to find this stuff out for myself. And I think, it's important to reiterate to children at an early age that asking, you know, questions, you know, asking how people are and maybe sharing how they're feeling is not something to shy away from. It's, you know, it's scary. It was terrifying for me for five-ish years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrifying. Like, I was like, I don't want anyone to know, like, why I'm even getting good grades. Like, oh my gosh, I <laughs> study. Like, that's the reason. Wow. Something as simple as that, like, I was scared to share, but like, Sharing things really bonds people, and and you know, I think it's super super important. And I wish I had taken it to heart at an early age. Unfortunately, I I don't think I'm the only one. I mean, I know for a fact I'm not the only one who's going through these things. And you know, there are millions of kids and probably adults who are going through this on a day to day basis. And I think if someone takes the time to ask a question, it can it can make a difference. And I think it won't happen unless you know interpersonal. Communication is just more emphasized than it is. Yeah. Going out and doing things is super, super important, um, yeah. and it I think will snowball for people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I think it, it's all about that conscious intent, right? Like deliberate in in forging those relationships and and asking those questions and making sure to change your habits instead of you know just defaulting to the lazy conversation to to make it seem like you guys are still interacting in a good enough way to to go by another day escaping your true feelings right I want to wrap up with one last question for you we did talk about a lot of different topics so was there anything that jumped out to you today that you'd like to invite another man to speak about further in another episode on the show
1: yeah honestly I think the emotional aspect of things and you know it was kind of pervaded the whole show, just talking about, we, we got there in a roundabout way, but the emotional side of things and being willing to share, you know, what you're going through and not being afraid of it. I think the show was, it kind of helped me kind of put things together in a, you know, i had been thinking about these things, considering these things, but kind of putting it all together in a cohesive way was really cool.
0: What uh, What would you say is a learning Something you learned about yourself from today's conversation that surprised you?
1: I think, you know, and we we talked before as well about it, but I think what surprised me the most is that despite all of the positive reinforcement one may have growing up and in their life, I mean, we talked about it. It's super easy to kind of disregard everything if you don't, you know, if you're not careful about things, if you're not you know, seeking to maintain relationships. And, you know, I think the ability of a person to kind of start secluding themselves and relying on perceived notions and letting that affect how they go about their life is, it can be, you know, in the blink of an eye. For me, it was going from middle school to high school. You know, for other people, it could be one person said one thing, and then you start to reevaluate everything (laughs) <laughs> that you've done up in your life to that point. So I think the thing that stuck out to me, and it's not something I really truly appreciated until this conversation is how sudden it was. Cause it really, you know, one, one school year, I was, I had very good relationships with many people and, you know, the next year started and then one thought struck into my head of like, I can't go up to these people. They're too cool. And from there it just went boom, boom, boom. And five years down the road, I finally you know, got myself out of a rut, but it's mm-hmm. just, how sudden it can be, and uh, the value of you know relationships, and the value of talking to others, um, you know, and and by not talking to others and realizing that people are going through similar things or the same things, even, um, you just you begin to forget that it's just a natural part of life to make mistakes and you know be afraid of things. But the important thing is to you know get through it um and you get through it by talking to people and you know sharing sharing experiences
0: yeah that's beautiful it's it's crazy how how easy we can just get comfortable being without people and accepting that this is kind of the version of our lives and and forgetting how how much more colorful our lives can be when we share with people and find other people that have similar experiences or learn from other people's experiences. Right. So thank you so much for this interview. It, it was, uh, it was, um, I think it was really powerful, you know, it was really encouraging and, um, it was very vulnerable and, and there was a lot of power in, in that vulnerability. So I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, you know, I enjoy talking about it. You know, I, I think it's something that should be talked about a lot more and I really appreciate what you're doing.
0: After this conversation, I literally messaged everyone that mattered to me. It's insane how much we really don't talk to each other. And I do hope that after listening to this, you send a message to those that matter to you as well. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The Hundred Masked Men.